guys. Welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. I have to say, I am getting into the holiday spirit. We are in the first week of December as I'm recording this. It's the 7th of December, so we are, you know, well into the first week and a half, I guess, because December started like last Wednesday or something like that. But, you know, it just takes December hitting for me to start getting into the holiday spirit. No, I do not have a Christmas tree up in my apartment. People on Instagram were asking me if I was going to get one. And I do think it'd be great in here because I do have these large, like tall ceilings. But for some reason, I just don't feel like I want to get into all that. Does anyone else like get lazy when it comes to holiday decor? I just feel Christmas lights, like I strung up some lights, like that's enough for me. Maybe I'll decorate my fiddle fig. <laughs> that'd be kind of that'd be like very New York of me. But Colby did tell me yesterday, my friend Colby told me that Christmas trees are stupid expensive this year because of like a tree shortage or something. So maybe I can blame it on that. I don't know. Whatever. Sue me if I don't have a tree. I feel on the inside, isn't it what's on the inside that counts? I feel very festive. I feel very in the holiday spirit. Tis the season. Tis the damn season, everyone. Tis the season to talk about what is valuable to us. This episode is about that. Not just those shiny, glistening, golden things that might be on the top of our Christmas and Hanukkah lists this year, but those truly valuable things, those things that are irreplaceable. So today we are investigating a phrase, a phrase that many of us have definitely heard before in poems, in songs, in books, in TikToks, even all that glitters is not gold. So I heard this the other day and it was almost like I was hearing it for the first time. Do you ever feel that sensation when you hear something that you've heard before, but it's almost like you something clicks in your mind and you're like, wow, that's something. Like there's something here. It's almost like you're hearing it for the first time and something different kind of clicks in your brain that you didn't think of before. Or often for me, I hear things. I even say things sometimes that I don't even know the meaning of. Like I say it because I've heard it. It's almost like I'm regurgitating a phrase that someone had said to me in some sort of context. And I've just kind of recycled it, but I don't quite know what it means. So even though all that glitters is not gold is pretty self-explanatory, I something clicked in my mind because I thought, you know, this can be applied to so many areas of my life because those things that seem attractive and glittery and desirable can end up tarnishing. Those things you think are solid gold can end up just being gold-plated and you wear them in the shower and there you go. It just turns your finger green or something and it just shows that sometimes maybe that glittering golden thing isn't so glittery after all. So today, we're going to talk about this. First though, let's investigate. So where did this phrase come from? All that glitters is not gold is an expression that dates back to the 12th century. Way back when, in 1175, a French monk named Alain de Lille wrote, do not hold everything gold that shines like gold. However, Shakespeare was the one to write it as we know today, or similar, most similar to what we know today. He popularized the phrase in his play called The Merchant of Venice. And I wasn't actually familiar with this one. I actually really regret, to be honest with you, not taking AP Lit in high school. I feel like it's very out of character that I didn't take it. I don't know why I didn't take it. It totally doesn't matter that I didn't take AP Lit, but I kind of wish I did because I would know a lot more about Shakespeare and about 
plays and things like that. But anyway, I did some research in the modern way on the internet and I found out what The Merchant of Venice was about. So it was a very interesting play to say the least. In short, it's about this guy named Antonio who was anti-Semitic. He took out this loan from a Jewish lender named Shylock to help his friend court a woman named Portia. So his friend wanted to get the girl and this guy, Antonio, took out some money, took out a loan to help his friend. Antonio soon found that he could not repay the loan to Shylock. And without mercy, understandably, because like I said, Antonio was anti-Semitic, Shylock demanded a pound of flesh instead. The heiress, Portia, who was the woman that, you know, Antonio's friend wanted to marry, she was now the wife of his friend. And she went on to dress as a lawyer and save Antonio from handing over his flesh somehow. And I personally think he should have had to give some flesh or something because Obviously, he doesn't sound like a great guy, but that's just me. And you might be wondering, thinking to yourself, Katie, this has nothing to do with glitter or gold. How does a pound of flesh have to do with this? That is exactly what I thought, but I dig a bit deeper and I found where the line actually came in and kind of comes from. So it has to do with the heiress Portia, so the woman that Antonio's friend wanted to marry. She was a rich, smart, and beautiful woman, and so naturally, men would travel from all over the world for a chance to marry her. But her dad, who obviously had stake to the fortune, but then he passed away, from the grave, he still wanted to control her. I guess he was a very controlling sort of dad. So even after he passed away, in his will, Portia's father said that whoever her husband would be would have to... He would have to go through a test, a contest of sorts. It would be determined according to a lottery. And this resource that I found broke down the concept to make it much more, just make more sense in today's terms, and I'll have it linked in the show notes. But basically, a suitor would be given the option of choosing one of three caskets, gold, silver, and lead. And I have no idea why it was caskets that he had to choose between, maybe some sick joke from the dead. Like the dad had an interesting sense of humor or maybe casket was used synonymously with like a chest back then. But anyway, in all the resources I found, it said casket. So I guess in this test, if the suitor guessed the correct casket, he would get Portia and all of her money, her entire fortune. So if he chooses incorrectly, though, he has to leave immediately. And according to Portia's dad's rules, he can never, ever marry ever. Like he cannot marry again, which is very interesting. I don't know how that was enforced, but anyway, Portia's dad thought that the man who chose the correct casket, which would hold a photo of Portia inside, literally absurd, like he wanted his daughter's photo inside of a casket, very strange, but the guy that chose the correct one would be the right man for her. So first up, the Prince of Monaco steps up to the plate. He declares that because of his high birth, his money, his grace, his stature, he deserves Portia. And I guess, I don't know, maybe he loved her. Maybe he thought she was pretty. I don't know. Maybe he was just after the money. Who who the heck knows? But anyway, he is basically standing in front of the three caskets, deciding which one to choose. So he first steps up to the lead casket. And this one says, who chooses it to risk everything. Like that is what it says on the casket. So the prince thinks this over. He's like, will I risk everything? And he's like, no way. I'm not going to risk it all for plain old lead that isn't valuable. So then he moves on to the silver casket. This one says he'll get what he deserves if he chooses it. So like I said, 
this guy, Prince of Monaco, was really on his high horse. So he was all like, well, I'm the shit, so I deserve Portia. Maybe this one is it. But then he sees the third casket. It's the gold one. It's glittering. It's majestic. So he decides lead is too worthless. Silver is worth less than gold. So gold must be the one that holds Portia's photo. When the prince opens the golden casket, he finds a photo of a skull and crossbones and a scroll that says, you guessed it, all that glitters is not gold. (laughs) So then the prince was confined to a life of solitude. Tough break. Kind of reminds me of a game of deal or no deal, like where is Howie Mandel? Or kind of reminiscent of don't judge a book by its cover. And as you can guess, the lead chest was the one that had the photo of Portia. Sure, it was made of a non-expensive common metal, but it really symbolized inner beauty and modesty. So the polar opposite of that blingy, shiny gold glittering casket. The Prince of Monaco, though, was just the first suitor, by the way. There was three in this story. So here's how the other two suitors played it. The second one chose the silver casket, no surprise. And inside of that, he found a puppet of a jester inside. So our second suitor, also a loser, also has to spend a life in solitude. Sucks for him. The third suitor steps up to the plate. This guy was a poor young Venetian who has to borrow money. So aka the guy from the beginning of our story kind of tells you, what happens. But anyway, so sorry for the spoiler. He chooses the lead casket. And so Portia returns to Venice with him to get married. Happily ever after, I guess. Back to the phrase, so all that glitters is not gold. Let's read what Shakespeare wrote in entirety in reference to this casket scenario. So this is what it says. All that glitters is not gold. Often have you heard that told. Many a man his life hath sold, but my outside to behold. Gilded tombs do worms enfold. Had you been as wise as bold, young in limbs, in judgment old, your answer had not been enscrolled. Fare you well, your suit is cold, cold indeed and labor lost. Then farewell heat and welcome frost. Portia, adieu, I have too grieved a heart to take a tedious leave, thus losers part. So obviously some of that has been modified to make more sense in today's terms, but that was the initial like popularization of this phrase. But now it's been used in a few different corners of pop culture in Lord of the Rings, Led Zeppelin used it, Smash Mouth, etc. And I think this phrase is one of those that we know, but we often overlook because when we're dealing with those shiny golden things, so maybe a new relationship or a new job, we have high expectations and we're optimistic. We think what looks gold and shiny on the outside has to also reap, you know, gold and shiny things on the inside. And we shove the idea that it could be too good to be true out of our minds because we want it to work. And truly, we don't know what's inside. But often we think that those shiny gold things on the outside are the same on the inside, and that's just not always the case. And oftentimes, shiny things are filled with skulls and crossbones or the modern equivalent, which is sacrifice, hard stuff. And it's up to us to decide whether these things are good for us or not so good for us. Because as I've said before, some of these hard things do shape us into better people. But what happens when you get to the point that those hard things, those sacrifices are hurting you? more than they're helping you. How do you know when you're at your breaking point, when it's time to turn the page into a new story? Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. 
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. And I know this sounds redundant, but it can be really hard to know when the hard things are too hard, if that makes sense, when it's time to go. And I felt this really hard, again, I'm going to stop saying that word, (laughs) in my first corporate job. You guys know the spiel. I've talked about this before. I had this corporate job after college and When I was nearing graduation, it was one of those things where everyone was talking about their post-grad job and the ones that had these like, you know, crazy titles sounded so shiny and glittery. Maybe not so much the title because obviously a lot of people went into like low roles, their first role out of college, but a lot of these brands that people were working for, these companies that everyone had heard of before that seemed so exciting and like so glittery. And of course, when you end up graduating and going into the real world, you realize it's a lot harder than you think it's going to be. It's a lot less shiny when you get to this company and you're working on the first day on stuff that you didn't see yourself doing or you realize you have to do a lot of things to get to the point where you are actually doing something that feels like it matters, which I know from experience working in my first corporate job, I took the job thinking I was going to be doing a lot of things that I didn't end up doing in the beginning. And once I got to the point where I was doing those things, I realized, I learned, at least in the creative job that I was in, once you excel and once you get promoted, once you get to a certain role, like up the ladder, you do less creative things, which I am one of those people that needs to get my hands on everything. And like, I need to design things to keep myself sane. I need to edit things. I need to conceptualize. Like I need to come up with shoots. And that was what I loved doing at my job once I got to that point, once I'd gotten promoted a couple of times and I got to that point where I was given that responsibility. But then I I learned it hit me like a, a ton of bricks when I realized that once you get to those director roles, you do less of those things. You are kind of, you're definitely doing a lot of work, don't get me wrong, but you are more so, you, what's the word? You're kind of guiding those people below you to do those things for you, if that makes sense. And that terrified me. So that's why I left my job because I, not because I wasn't happy, but I didn't see the growth happening in a way that I wanted it to because I I want to till the end of time to be 
the person getting my hands dirty and creating things. I knew that for myself. But I was scared because freelance, as empowering as it makes me, it, it really is empowering and it really is inspiring and I love being a freelancer. But at the time, I feel I'd heard a lot of negative stigmas surrounding freelancers like it was the lazy way to go or something, which I've obviously, <laughs> I can say firsthand, it's it involves way more work than I put in at my corporate job, my like initial job. I'm doing so much more work now, but it feels so, something about doing it myself just feels so, it's just so sweet and I really love it. But it is one of those things where my corporate job, the security that it gave me, knowing I was going to get a set salary. I was going to have this huge company backing me. I had all these coworkers that could help me with things like projects. And I had real money to deal with because this was like a billion dollar company. You know, that was really shiny and glittery to me. But then I realized like I had these crushing realizations about my future and about what wasn't right for me, you know? And so I really did have to get to the center of it. And often it takes time to realize that something has gone bad for you, you know, that something just isn't right. And like I said, it's realizing whether or not those challenges are just hard and you got to work through them to be better or are they a deal breaker for you? Are they something where you have to terminate whatever it is to get to something that is truly better for you that, like I said, won't be shiny and glittery all the time in the center of it? Like my freelance life is very exciting and probably looks very different to a lot of people that don't do it firsthand than what it truly is. Because a lot of it is, yes, me getting my hands dirty, me creating things, me feeling very much at the helm of my life. It's very exciting, but I also sit here and oftentimes feel this crushing imposter syndrome. I feel like someone else can and is doing what I'm doing way better than me. I have issues with accounting and I'm not so great with numbers. And there's things that I that make me want to stop every day and just go back to corporate life. I'm like, sure, I have this college degree. I could probably find a job where someone else will tell me what to do and it'll be a lot easier for me maybe to follow this path that just seems very determined for me and I have security and I have health insurance that I don't have to pay for, you know, like that does seem shiny and glittery, but I also know it's like, what is, what's that other phrase? It's like the grass is always greener, truly, because you don't know what goes on. Like a lot of these really shiny, amazing things are hard, but it's all about knowing what is a good, difficult situation. What's a good, challenging situation. And that sounds like an oxymoron, but some challenging situations jobs where maybe you feel like you're a little in over your head, but you're learning as you go, which is good for your growth. Not saying something that exhausts you and like puts too much pressure on you, obviously, but there are certain situations, like certain projects I've taken on that I've been so grateful I took on because it challenged me in such a good way and I learned. But it's about knowing whether you're in that situation or in one that is bad for you, that is taxing on you mentally, that is pushing you into a person that you don't want to be, you know? And another situation that I just thought of off the top of my head, actually, is a friendship that I had. So getting into the relationship realm, I do have some DMs I want to read from you guys about situations you guys have been in as well. But this one, personally, it was towards the end of my freshman year of college. And freshman year, I was a totally different person than I am now. I was very reliant on other people's approval. I still feel like there's a little bit of that in me now, but it was just crushing to me when I was left out of things freshman year because I had come from 
being bullied in high school and didn't have a ton of friends that I really trusted. I had trust issues when it came to my relationships. Still do, but even more so that I didn't even understand that I had this. Like I didn't even know why. It took a lot of therapy. It took a lot of thinking for me to realize this. But end of freshman year, I had this one friend at the time. We're no longer friends. We no longer follow each other. We're no longer in communication. I think she might have blocked me. Whatever, you know, you, you live and you learn. But at the time, we were very close friends. And I realized that she was a very toxic friend because I felt very played by her all the time. But I was too, I was in too deep, I felt. And I was too reliant on her because I didn't have very many friends at the time that I felt that I needed to just turn the other cheek and look past the way that she was treating me. And there was a few reasons why I did this, why I decided to look past it for as long as I did. Number one was because I was very timid back then. I didn't want to ruffle any feathers. I didn't want anyone to be mad at me. And I was also in no position to turn down any friends at this time. Like I thought that I had a good friend in her and I was like, I don't want to lose her friendship because I don't want to start at square one and have no friends. Like that just brought back bad memories from high school. But secondly, was because it seemed like this very glittering golden thing. Like she was good when she was good, you know? She was a really great friend when in certain situations, she was very much a good friend. Like she, when I was sick one time, she took me to urgent care. And this was when I was, like the first time I was really sick away from my mom and it was very scary. She took care of me. Like there were certain ways that the, the friendship was very glittering and beautiful from the outside. But it turned out that she just wasn't a good friend. There was moments where she would actually get mad at me if I hung out with another girl that wasn't her. Even if I told her I was doing it, like I wasn't hiding it from her, she got mad at me for going to get coffee with another girl because I was trying to make friends because that's what college kids do. She got very upset and would like be very cold to me. She would not respond to me for a day and I would cry about it and feel very upset that she was icing me out like that. She would also make fun of me in front of guys. And guys at the time was like the biggest deal ever because college, you know, you want the guys to invite you to date parties. And that was a huge deal for me at the time. And she would make fun of me in a room of guys because obviously we know that that's how a lot of people make themselves feel better if they make fun of someone else in front of the people that they want to impress. Like that's that's the oldest trick in the book from high school. And I felt like I was in high school again. And it was just the worst situation. Luckily, we went on to having this massive falling out. We unfollowed each other, all of that. And then I started fresh sophomore year. And then that's when I really got close with all of my current friends. And I'm really grateful that I was able to find people that didn't treat me like how she did. She did, sorry. And it was just this crushing realization though that it wasn't right. Like I finally towards the end was like, this is not okay. I'm standing up for myself because no one's going to stand up for me. I have to do it myself. And that was when I decided to leave. And I think that what, what it really came down to was thinking about what I deserve. What do I deserve when I take away all of those maybe positive shiny things? If I wrote down on a slip of paper how many negative things in one column happened with this this friend and then all the positive things, the negative things would be a scroll a thousand miles long and the positive things were just decent human behavior. Like what are those like bare minimum things a friend should do and that I would do for a friend and those things that a friend should never, never do? Like how many times, I asked myself, how many times am I going to make excuses for her? 
how many times am I going to say, oh, she's just having a bad day or she's on her period or something? Like, you know, you you get to a point where you're like, this is just not, it's not a bad day. This this girl just is not a good friend to me and I need to go. And that's what I realized. And when I made these amazing friends my sophomore year, when I was in these amazing relationships with other girls and some guys and just started to realize what friendship really was, it was crushing to me realizing that freshman year I'd put up with so little. I worshipped this friendship that was just so one-sided and it was not in my favor, as you could assume. But I think what the hardest part of this whole thing is, these shiny glittering scenarios like an amazing job or an amazing friend, you often really do put those positives ahead of the negatives because you convince yourself that maybe the negatives are all in your head or maybe the negatives are things that you're just being sensitive about. But I think what did it for me in both of those situations that I've experienced with, it was when do the negatives, when do they get to the point where they really outweigh the positives? Like think about it in terms of numbers and the severity. Like those negative things are these things that could eventually lead me to my breaking point. Is it just one bad thing that happened on this off day or is it constant? Is it something that I really cannot overlook anymore for the sake of myself? You have to be selfish in these situations and think of yourself, think of your future, think of what you deserve. That is just so crucial. So I'm now going to read some scenarios that I got in my DMs and I'm going to talk through these. These are in response to me posting a story about glittering, shiny scenarios that turn toxic and how to know when to leave. Because I think this is a huge part of this that we need to talk about. So the first one I'm going to read, I'm going to keep all these anonymous, of course, because they are very sensitive issues. But okay, the first one I'm going to read, freshman year of college, I met this guy orientation weekend and we really hit it off. After that, we spent time together every day and it was great for the first couple of months of college. Around when I went home for Thanksgiving, I remember feeling as if he was starting to want to control me. Getting mad when I drank or went to parties, jealous of other guy friends I had, it felt as if his wants and needs were more important than mine. Soon, he never wanted to do any of the same things I did, but just wanted to have me to himself and kept me from enjoying my time at college. This relationship, unfortunately, was pretty on and off and went on for so much longer than I'd like to admit, but I think I was tied to this hope that things would get better and he would treat me better someday. I finally broke up with him last May, and I'm now in the best relationship with a guy who always has my feelings in consideration and wants the best for me. Time is a crazy thing when it comes to relationships. Okay, there's a few things I want to flag. So first, she said, it felt as if his wants and needs were more important than mine. Okay, this is huge because in my toxic friendship, I felt the same way. It almost felt like I was always putting this other person's needs and wants. Like I almost predicted when I was doing something that I knew that she was going to hate. And it was one of those things where I'm like, well, wait a second. Like I like doing this thing. I like spending time with these girls that I am getting to know in college because that's a normal college thing you should do. I really like this thing, but she doesn't like it. So I kind of was like, okay, maybe I shouldn't because I was trying to keep this friendship alive. And it's when you are doing that more, like obviously you should compromise every once in a while or you should come up 50-50, right? Like there's going to be things in a relationship of any kind that you don't want to do, but you do it because you love the person, right? Right. 
but it should be a 50-50, a push and pull sort of thing where it's like you you give as much as you get and you get as much as you give and it's very 50-50. I feel like in most of these toxic relationships, you really have to stop and think, is this 50-50? Is this one of those relationships where I am just submitting to the other person completely and giving up all of those things that make me special or those things that I like to do that I'm not doing because I don't want to disappoint someone else. Like you have to really think about that and that's a hard conversation that you have to have with with yourself. So the next part that she said was that she was tied to this hope that things would get better and he would be better someday. Like he would treat her better someday. You can't hold on for something that could be a total fever dream of something that will never happen. You can't hold on for a hope based on all the signs you're being shown that there might be a chance he's never going to get to that point. Like, I don't know. I, I guess you always look for that light at the end of the tunnel. You always are trying to be optimistic, but there's a certain point you get to when optimism in a toxic relationship is self-sabotage. And she definitely realized she hit that point. And now that she's in this really amazing relationship, she's realizing that people do exist that are going to give you what you give, are going to meet you halfway, are going to keep your feelings in consideration and truly does want you to thrive in the relationship and doesn't just expect you to always be there for them and that's it. And it's it's beautiful to see this, but I think oftentimes people get stuck in the hope. They get stuck in thinking that the person will change and the hope kind of takes over and they can't really process what's actually happening in front of them. And a lot of times it takes someone else telling them or it takes a really catastrophic event to shock them back into who they are. But I I just hope that anyone out there in a toxic relationship that's listening to the things I'm talking about and are like, wow, that's me. This is your sign that something has to change. This is your sign that hope is not always a noble thing doing things for others all the time is not always a noble thing. Sometimes you have to realize that you are giving so much more than you're getting and that you are literally self-sabotaging. Another girl DM'd me a very similar story. So the relationship was long distance, but started out super amazing. It was a very glittering, glistening thing. And then things turned messy. So this is what she said. She said, because of our distance, because they had a long distance relationship, he openly and willingly invited me to be his date at this work Christmas party. Work Christmas parties, guys, are huge. Like if you're invited to a guy's work Christmas party, it's a big deal because you're going as his date and his coworkers are there and a lot of guys really value their coworkers as like the the people to impress, you know? So she said a guy Willing to have me on his arm meeting his work friends and colleagues sounded like a dream and confirmed even more to me that things were on the upward trajectory. She said, before buying tickets to get out there because she had to travel to go to this and address, I confirmed with him twice about going. He reassured me time and time again of how excited he was that I'd be joining him and to go ahead and book. So I did book train tickets, rearranged schedules and bought a hot ass dress, may I add, four days later he calls and ends it all. Less than one week out from his Christmas party, he bails, telling me that he's now unsure and feels as if this is getting serious and that he isn't ready to be a boyfriend. I was crushed and absolutely guttered, and after a two-hour conversation, the result was that he felt as if he had a lot of things to work on 
before being able to be a boyfriend and that this apparently had nothing to do with me and everything to do with him. The classic, it's not you, it's me. I couldn't even wrap my head around how it couldn't be me. Aren't we always told that if he wanted to, he would? Anyway, so the conversation ended with me hoping he figures himself out and can be happy again and me feeling absolutely lost and crushed and blindsided. It's been a week now since this all went down and neither of us have reached out. I know I shouldn't reach out. Oh God, this is breaking my heart. For the first time in three years and after dating tons, he checked off all my boxes. I know I shouldn't ever beg for someone who is unsure about me or willing to walk away. And I want to believe it has nothing to do with me, but I feel stuck, stuck between a rock and a hard place and just wanting to have answers, answers about reaching out and making him realize he fucked up, but also respecting myself and knowing what is meant for me will always be mine. Okay, here's my opinion on this. Well, first of all, this is a week ago, so I know this is so, so fresh I know you don't want to hear this, but in time, you will realize that you completely dodged a bullet. You should never be with someone that is going to shut you down like that and make you feel like you are too much. You will never be too much for the right person. He clearly is not ready for a relationship. Obviously, he did say that himself, but I just I feel like it's so rude and unfair and you deserve to be angry about this. You deserve to be angry, okay, first of all. Second of all, I think that if there's one thing I can tell you, it's that searching for answers will not bring you the closure you think it will. I don't suggest reaching out to him again. I suggest moving on and cutting this clean and being done with it because digging and picking, it's like picking at a scab. It's just going to keep opening up the wound. It's not going to let you heal. It's not going to let you move on. This is my belief. I think some people really do chase closure, but I've found in my experience doing so has never made me feel better. You should just leave it at he is childish. He is a little boy who can't take responsibility, who led you on. And I'm really sorry. I mean, maybe he did realize at some point, maybe it did take him a while to realize. Maybe he just doesn't feel like he's good enough for you. There's so many reasons, but that's not what you should focus on. What you should focus on is you focus on your next chapter, your growth, you doing what you need to do to heal yourself. And it's going to be on your own or maybe with the help of your friends that you're going to get get to that point. But I can tell you, I don't think that digging for answers will get you anywhere other than in a world of hurt. And I get it. Sometimes when we're trying to heal a wound, we do things that we shouldn't do in order to find that healing. We think that certain things will fix it. Like Number one, this has happened to me before, I have tried to win the person back because I thought that I could win still. Like it was this like competitive edge I had. I was like, no way, you don't get to be the one that does this to me, that embarrasses me, that hurts me. Like I will show you that I am better and that you shouldn't have done it. Like I want to do something that makes them regret doing it and want me back. Like they become this God to me that I need to impress. I need to prove wrong. And you can prove the guy wrong without going back to the guy. I've learned you can do all sorts of things to better yourself and without even reaching out to him again, without even, he will know that you are off doing better things. And that's all that like, it doesn't matter. First of all, it matters most that you are doing these great things for yourself. I'm going to say that. But I think that this guy will one day realize, wow, I messed up 
And if that helps you just to keep in your back pocket, like, oh, maybe someday he'll realize, like, whatever, don't hold out for it, obviously, like, take your energy elsewhere. But just know there's going to be a day where this guy is going to be like, damn, I fucked up. I wonder where this girl is and maybe he'll reach out to you. And that is when you do the ultimate amazing thing by just not responding. (laughs) Just don't reply and just go off and do great things in your life and find someone way better than him. And that's the ultimate revenge. Just being so in tune to yourself and realizing, you know, I don't even miss you because I'm so much better on my own without your toxic energy dragging me down and making me making me insecure, making me wonder what I did wrong. Like we don't deserve people in our lives that make us feel that way. So it it is all about realizing what you deserve. What do you deserve? You don't deserve that. I guess in another way, it's kind of easy to think about it like, what would you tell a friend if they were going through this situation? What advice would you give to your friend that was going through the same exact scenario? That is helpful for me to think about sometimes because obviously I would never in a million years want my friend to go through this. But if they had, I would give them the same advice I'm giving you. And obviously it's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow to realize like, oh gosh, like I would give my friends a lot better advice than I give myself. It's hard, but it's it's helpful, I think. Repeat after me, guys. All that glitters is not gold. Something we need to think about. Okay, because some things that do seem glittery and shiny and amazing in the beginning end up turning sour and it's up to you to realize when it has become that way and when it's time to throw out the old expired milk and move on with your life. And honestly, the the beauty and the terror of this life is the fact that it is ours to choose. Not all of it, obviously, there's things out of our control, but a lot of it is up to us. We write our own stories and it is just terrifying sometimes to realize I made the wrong move. I wrote the wrong next chapter for myself and now I have to get myself out of it. But those hard things make you better. Realizing you need to turn the page is the the bravest thing you can do for yourself. But it's crucial to remind yourself and kind of convince yourself that you should not be embarrassed for taking that wrong turn. Maybe a little smidge of embarrassment, maybe a little bit is okay, but don't let it wreck you, okay? You can clean your slate and start fresh whenever you want to, okay? No matter what you've been through, you can. You can start anew. You really can. And I know it's tough. It's hard sometimes to know where you're going from here. What is my next chapter? Because, you know, because of all this choice that we do have, a lot of us, it's hard because you're overwhelmed by the amount of choices. You're overwhelmed by change. Change is hard. Starting new is hard. What if we don't know what to do? Like, that's the tough part. But I, I you do know the way, okay? You, your soul, <laughs> deep in there, your gut, you know the way. It's about listening to yourself. Stop overriding your gut. If you know something is wrong and you're taking something that you shouldn't be taking, like you are shouldering all of the effort and the work in your relationship and you are bending over backwards for someone else, you should not be feeling that way. You should. You need to take control of the situation and realize when it's time to walk away because I truly think you will know. You will know and you try to silence that voice and be like, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine because we're a lot of us conditioned to be like, no, we're fine, hard things are okay, we're fine. But 
you know when you're not fine. You know when you need to walk away. It's about summoning the strength to do it finally. And that's the tough part. Okay, so to close, I want to read The Riddle of the Strider, which is a poem from The Lord of the Rings. I said that there was a reference to this phrase in The Lord of the Rings, so I'm going to read it to close this episode. So let it marinate. All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. From the ashes a fire shall be woken. A light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall be blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king. All right, guys, I'll talk to you all next Thursday. Love you all. Bye.